0: Welcome back to the Book and Life Podcast. Today, we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know. So you're in for one hell of a ride. But today, I just have to uh, do the adverts. And then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as, as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the Immortals' plan for world domination. But Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation? Who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her roman british crime series which was written under her maiden name all editions can be found online where all books are sold even her agents donating her commission sorry i don't have the blurb for that but uh, that's that's what she's doing and now without further ado let's get you to the guests I promised you guys an incredible treat, and guess what, we've got it, because we've got an award-winning writer from Britain who's going to blow your socks off and take you to an entirely different world. I'm excited. I'm waiting for this book, and I've kind of handed his publisher for it, but you're going to have to to get in line to buy this one. Honestly, guys, it's going to be one of the best reads of the year. So before I go on too much, let's welcome Chris Lloyd.
1: Hi, Crystal. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, and hello to everyone.
0: The great thing about this is uh, we've been all excited to have more British historical writers on. So when I got your, the email to have you on, I couldn't—I couldn't contain myself. I was super excited. <laughs> My husband was like, "Why do you look like you've won the lottery?" And I'm like, "Cause I got this amazing person coming on the show." <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So there's. Lots of weird and wonderful things my husband uh, witnesses me getting excited about, which he doesn't understand because he's not a reader. But yes,
1: yeah, so I think, I think every, little... every writer's partner gets used to weird and wonderful excitement and all sorts of things going on.
0: Uh, well, mine—he actually counts my books.
1: Oh, all right, okay. Well, yeah, my my wife is a is a is a reader. She's a book lover, so I'm I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty lucky there.
0: So you, you skim away with the whole coming home with, like, five in your bag and she doesn't necessarily mind as much?
1: She comes home with another five in her bag, so we're fine.
0: Well, that's good, that's good, because it keeps you guys all even and you're not definitely no. One of One
1: of the greatest joys we have is going to... A, we have a wonderful local bookshop in the town where we live, and one of the greatest treats is to go together. Yeah. And, and just to spend an hour or so in the bookshop looking for the, ne- the latest book we want to read and, it, and it's nice because then we'll show each other the book and say what do you think of this one would you read this one yeah I would well let's get it and yeah we, so we, we we end up sort of you know some books that just I want some that just she wants some that yeah we both said wow yeah gotta read that
0: I love that because that that to me is heaven like my best friend and me were the same she just bought a house
1: uh-huh.
0: and uh her bookshelves looked a bit empty, so for Christmas I bought her 30 different kinds of books. Oh, and she went, oh, so my library's going to be uh, well on the way then, is it? And I <laughs> went, well, you know, you they look rather empty. I'm just, you know, helping you along. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: but we, yeah. We, we do that thing of walking into town saying, right, we're not buying books today, are we? No. And you just walk past the shop and say, well, we're not walking past. We go in. Well, we'll just look. Yeah. Okay. Just just the one. Okay. Just those three. All right. Yeah. We'll leave it. Keep it to five. Yeah. yeah and that's how it goes. But that's great. It's it's we're both like it, so we're both lucky.
0: It's a good addiction. Because yeah. Because you're you're filling your mind with knowledge and stories, and I always say that. To know history is not to repeat it.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah and I
0: think that's hugely important. And I I kind of always drum that into Ian is that you know, reading things does not it's not always for pleasure sometimes it's great to just have that knowledge to to gain that sure. knowledge
2: sure. um
0: but yes he, i after realizing i had 500 books he is um yes he's like i think crystal we're going to run out of space if you keep buying <laughs> books I, I i am terrible i i do yeah and i because now i get books from publishers for free
2: so i'm oh, not mm-hmm. buying
0: them and he's just start looking he's like how many of you got coming in this year and i'm like Last I looked, it was 24, and I think it's now up to like 32.
2: <laughs>
0: so, you know, but to me, that's to me, it's having to have a book come in and just be like, Oh,
1: oh it is It is lovely when a publisher sends you a book and asks your opinion on it.
2: Yeah, exactly. It, well, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Right.
1: Okay, <laughs> it's, it's, one, it's nice to get a book that you might not otherwise have read, and two, that someone actually values what you think of it. That's really quite a great feeling
0: exactly and, and that's that's what makes me excited to do this podcast is just having that ability to give people a platform not only for their own writing but for to share other writers that wouldn't have been recognized sure. or heard yeah. of or promoted yeah. in that way and to me that's it's called the book and life podcast for a reason yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, never planned to take it on if I was at university but I woke up one day and said I'm starting a podcast about books because I looked at book podcasts and I, I just didn't I, didn't I felt like it was too promotional it wasn't about the writer mm. it wasn't about the experience and it wasn't about the joy of reading yes. a lot of them and I said well that's what I can give people and I never thought that I would be nearly a year recorded I've, I've mm-hmm. recorded an entire year of podcasts I never thought I would be in that position And they just keep coming and you know hopefully one day it takes off and everybody can experience it but but in the meantime i'm I'm quite happy to have people on and just edit myself and twindle away at it it's good procrastination (laughs) if nothing else
1: twindle away that's a brilliant word i love that yeah
0: but that's a total shetland word as well twindling away
2: (laughs) Uh, it gets
0: used a lot So tell us about your book Because I'm super excited to share this with everybody
1: Okay well, So the the book that's coming out It comes out the end of February It's yeah. called Paris Requiem yeah. And it's the second in the series The first series was called The Unwanted Dead Which came out in the middle of lockdowns, But it slowly took off yeah. And that, that it's about a, a French police detective Eddie Giral, In Paris under the Nazi occupation So the first book the unwanted dead took place in the first 10 days of the occupation. It began on the first day of the occupation when Eddie, the, who is a police detective, finds four refugees murdered. And so he investigates that murder against the wishes of, of the German occupier, but also against the wishes of his own police force. And Eddie, Eddie's a, he's, a former, he's a veteran of the First World War. He suffered right. shell shock. He was taken prisoner at the end of the yeah. First World War and he mo- then moved to Paris became a police detective his life went into free fall a bit and so suddenly he's now in Paris under the occupation forced to work with, with the Germans Forced, and specifically he works with this major in German military inter- intelligence called Hochstetter. and there's a lot of the books that uh, are there sort of cat and mouse relationship so the second book Paris Requiem takes place in the first autumn. When the Germans first arrived in the in the city, they were told to be on their best behaviour. By this time the facade is beginning to crumble. And so Eddie is and so there there are tensions that had sort of were in abeyance for about the first two, three months, but they're starting to rise and we're starting to see uh, small acts of defiance. And so Eddie's called to a crime scene where the victim should have been in prison. And Eddie discovers that there's a series yeah. of French prisoners who are going missing from a prison in Paris, and he's trying to get to the bottom of that. And to do that, it, it takes him up against the, the German authorities, but mm-hmm. also takes him up against the French gangs, who oh, really were yeah. powerful at this time, um, yeah. because a lot of them were used... By the Nazis to help them police almost the city in, in another form, and yeah. they, they, again, it was that one thing of setting two sides against each other and so while he 's investigating that, an old flame comes to see him to ask about her her son her son was a soldier in the Senegalese regiment fighting with the French, and he 's gone missing. And she's been told he's a prisoner, but she can't find where he is. So she asks Eddie to look into it. So again, Eddie comes up against the, the, the authority, the military, German military authority, as he tries to do it. And so the story basically is what he discovers in trying to investigate these. The two strands, the, the, the missing prisoners and the Senegalese soldiers, are based on real events. So there, 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 is, there, there is a historical truth underlying it. Um, but Those the whole is Eddie's yeah. response to it and what he what he does and what he learns because of course we're, we're reading the, I'm writing these books and we're reading these books with the hindsight of history Eddie's discovering these things as they happen of course so, yeah.
0: uh, how did you research that? that would have been very difficult wouldn't
1: it? it well it, it isn't difficult because it's so fascinating a huge amount of research but I love it, and it, it, in many ways I love it too much. I, sort of, <laughs> I, I send myself down these rabbit holes. because you I know those discover.
0: feelings, yep.
1: Oh, we, we all do. Everyone who writes historical fiction knows that. You discover more and say, so, I just want to look a bit more. Well, I need to find something else out. And I have, I have levels of, of, of research that I need to do. I have sort of g- general research where I just need to find out what's going on at the time. And then... I have sort of quite specific research when I, I want to know or immersive research almost where I want to know what people wore, what music they listened to, what they how they dressed, whether Eddie would have worn a hat, what it was like trying to queue for bread under the occupation, things like this. And that that's where yeah. reading people's diaries from you know, that have been put that have been made available to the in put in the public domain, they're absolutely fascinating to get that story. Um but then you get to a point where you have to stop researching. Otherwise yeah. you're never going to write. And so, but I mean, it, it's very easy, and I, and I find that, because I, I set the stories in a very specific period, so I actually feel I need to know everything. So that this one now, Paris Rackham takes place between September and November 1940. I check the weather on the days that I'm setting the story, because I want to know, I can't... Have I a, do you have what, to. You, yeah, you have to, because partly it's pride i just want to know but also yeah. i don't want to write a story and say he's swelching in the sunshine and you discover actually it poured with rain that day or something but then also exactly. if you know the weather if you know the background of what's going on that creates instant atmosphere for your story there's it this does, once yeah. when the the book sort of the, the culmination of the book is around the 11th of of uh, november which is the old armistice day um from the first world war and a lot of french school kids and students staged protests they were very brave and it was the first time that german soldiers were used to quell them and then it sort of petered out because torrential rain started to fall and so that that torrential rain that that gives you the mm-hmm. the atmosphere and so that you then create the scene where Eddie is there in the rain, feeling miserable, feeling scared of, yeah. of the soldiers, feeling worried about the students, having to to deal with his investigation, and it and it and it, it, it it it's that that just gives you instant an instant world. So I love that. Yeah. It's where it's where the research the research for me is the parent of the story. It's the parent of the big story, but it's also the parent of the little vignettes. Yeah. The, the where where you discover that that, um, mm-hmm. that they they had to get by people had to get by on 1200 calories a day. Yeah. And so you know how did they do that? And they were taught how to cut bread. You know, you have a baguette. They were taught to cut them way for thin to make them last. And it's little yes. things like that that that, that, that build a world that build atmosphere it's, it's so funny you yeah, say that. that
0: that's exactly how I did it yeah, like, I, you
1: know? I, yeah I, th- I think one naturally comes to it that's you, you realise if I'm going to write this story truthfully yep. then I have to put that groundwork in but that groundwork helps me because it helps me create a backdrop, a setting for me to put my story on top and I and I, I think a lot of, I think a, most historical writers see it that way. They have to do it that yeah. way. But it is, is one of the it's one of the sheer joys of it is. A historical writer. I mean you, you know it, it's, it's 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 finding more, finding out things you didn't know and then digging into that and delving into that and finding more. And but then when you
0: say rabbit holes, by the way, I know exactly what you're talking about because the other day I was like what happened to the Spanish royal family? Something that we don't think about mm. in regards to World War Two. So I spent, gosh, it must have been a, eight hours diving into this idea of well, where were they and what happened and, and they were in exile.
2: Mm.
0: They didn't exist. They had Their whole monarchy was destroyed and it didn't come back till I think it was 1947 that they got a new monarch.
2: Mm.
0: And I was just like, wow so there was even less royal families around at that point in history yeah, yeah. And that just baffled me totally i lost it a whole day just because yeah. i needed to know well you know would the spanish not send ships and what was the spanish position and then finding out most of them were neutral and and yeah. that Denmark had had to become neutral and, and what that effect was and I just lost a whole day, but it was oh, yeah. worth it because it added such a layer to what I felt like Thomas Lawrence was having to deal with because yeah, yeah, he yeah. knows all this, but he can't tell his wife any of this, and and yet his wife's saying, "Well, I don't want her, my daughter, to marry somebody from a family they've had history with," you know, and mm-hmm. it it's just that whole kind of it gave it gave it such an atmosphere to him. Yeah, he must be this sort of like boiling pot of of wanting to explode because to him this is such a trivial thing, but yet he knows that she's not going to cope with him being gone,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and just trying to get that balance. And that's at the very heart of the beginning of this story is that kind of sort of tug and tug and turmoil that they're both in. And then obviously, you know, I have young Martin who's a merchant navy guy, and he has to try and he can't tell the the girl he loves with all his heart in the last time he sees her that that he's not going to see her Mm. because he's going to war he can't tell her and then you see him going home and and not wanting to talk about it with his family and not wanting to to deal with it in that awkward meal of them having their dinner and, and him getting ready to leave and that kind of fighting and argument that they have so there's so many multiple layers, I think as historical writers, we need to hit for a book to be truly special
1: well th- yeah, this is it and, and, you, and you have to, you have to you you have to find do the research, you have to know the history, but then, as you say, you have to apply that empathy to it well, how would they feel? how would he be feeling in that situation that he's he's going to war, but he doesn't want to know he has to say goodbye he he has that feel with his family and and sort of you know. I think all historical writers do it with, with Eddie um, how he relates to other people around him based on his experiences from the First World War that he can't really talk about it. he can't tell anyone about it and it leads him to take very bad decisions very bad personal decisions that he that he he regrets but knows that he had no other choice
2: yeah and so you
1: have to get in you have to know the history you have to know what was happening, but then you have to get inside the head of the characters to see how they would respond to it and I think that's what's so important that's what makes historical fiction live yeah. is when, when you get inside what the the head of the characters in that era
0: and you have to live it
1: yeah
2: you, exactly you, know,
0: you you can't just turn it off you've got to stay in that character Definitely. and hold on to that I it,
1: mean, it, that is such a trick act. I think so, there's an element of, of method acting almost to writing mm-hmm. it. and I, d- I don't know what you're because Eddie, I write these books in the first person so Eddie's in my I'm head I'm third, yeah, I'm third almost.
0: because it's, I have to with the amount I think of different characters yours, yeah. it's,
1: more, com- it's com- more complex now whereas what I want to do is, is write about how someone is living yeah. the occupation yeah. so I write it through Eddie and so I mean for, for however many months a year that I'm actually writing the books, he's inside my head and I see things the way he does and it's, it's, it's quite curious
0: and it's also the great thing is what they didn't realise about what we know about shell shock now is actually what we call post traumatic stress PTSD, syndrome yeah. and adding those layers of that into a character but leaving the markers for a normal everyday person to understand that mm. is, is also a new trick I think a lot of us are having to learn
2: Yeah, yeah. and a lot <laughs> of
0: what I learned about historical writing came from Catherine Cookson, it came mm. from reading her but not really reading her I studied it mm. understanding, because a lot of hers was in first person
1: ah, right. okay.
0: and it was getting inside her head and then being inside that character at the same time and she wrote as she spoke Mm. so it was a very much like you were getting the feel of these northern characters or wherever they were as they would have lived and breathed and spoke and that was such a huge inspiration for me and that's why I said one of the the absolute genres I had to go into was historical because I had these incredible ideas for stories and I, I love research. Yeah. Oh, yeah I love sitting and and getting all that information done making notes and, and breaking down the story to be able to create that and mm-hmm. that's what made me excited about yours because yours seemed like such an adventure and to to see you use things like shell shock and you use the detectiveness and you use the occupation and then you understand what the atmosphere was like at that time made me that bit more excited to read it because I'm like, this person isn't just going to fluff his way through. <laughs> he actually knows what needs to be put in place in order for it to be something that will just absolutely rip you away and take you on this journey.
1: Well, well, well thank you. No, but I, I, I think one of the things that more to do with crime fiction, and historical, because, of course, I'm sort of crossing over between historical fiction and crime fiction. One thing with yeah. crime fiction, of course, is you have this thing is... Is your book plot-driven or is it character-driven? I'm exactly. far more interested in character-driven stories. Same. And so that then brings in the historical, what, we, what you were talking about, PTSD. We have a greater understanding of that now than they did in 1918, when, when Eddie suffered shell shock. And the treatment he received then, there's no resemblance to what one would expect nowadays. And he was in well, he, he, was, he was in 1916. And he was sent back to the front line when he he was, he was not ready. To go at the exactly. front line, and he was sent back, and he's paid for it all his life. Yeah. Um, and a lot
0: of the time, the attitude was, "Oh, you know, shellshocked, cowardice."
1: Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah. At, at, at best, they sent you back. They didn't understand. At worst, they would they would be accused. These these young men would be accused of cowardice,
0: and would um, be shot, yeah, and
1: tried and, and executed. And, I mean, it was absolutely appalling. You know, and you, and you sort of had, do have to understand. Well. Those are the problems they were facing. You know, there, there are times you have to be careful. We're, we're writing historical fiction for modern readers, and there's got yeah. to be a meeting point between the two. The a modern reader has to be able to empathize with it, but you have to be true to the period, and you, you yeah. have to find that balance, that, that, that point.
0: And it's so difficult, yeah, it I really, mean, really is,
1: especially when often we're dealing with sort of, you know people who've had quite different attitudes. Yes. in those days attitudes towards women attitudes towards all sorts of things that you sort of think well you can't really write that anymore because it's 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 offensive it's is it's, it's, yeah. we, can't, we can't say those things you know it's it and no one thinks that way now and we don't want to think that way now but yeah. you have to realize well he would have had attitudes that maybe we don't actually find that tasteful. You know, we'd find quite distasteful. So you have to temper them.
2: Yeah, Um, I would agree with that. Or
1: at least put it in
0: context, I think is another way of doing it. It's putting it in context. I know for, for particularly when I had my story, I had Mary who had control of the house because her husband was not royal blood, so she saw herself as... Well, actually I'm head of the house and even though I'm not title wise I'm not the head of the house but I'm going to run it as if I am uh,
1: okay, okay.
0: and you get the attitude of him where he's like I don't care about all this tradition and standards and he didn't this man didn't hmm. he just wanted to serve his country protect those people because he knew what was going on out there in the ocean that was sure. not being reported yeah. and he couldn't tell her that
2: So,
0: for me, I had to kind of realize that Shetland women are very fiery, very driven, we're very ambitious, but we're very ruthless when it comes (laughs) to family. And I had to find that balance between, well, what can this guy accept in that time period? And what can she get away with? And what's the servant's reaction to this behavior? And there is this all sort of level of fear they have around her, where they're so terrified to tread too close. And that gives that other mystique to her. Even her own daughters will call her Countess. Because, you know, that is that level of understanding how much this title means to her. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, she's being sort of like a dictator of, you are going to live this way, and I don't care if there's a war or whatever, it's going to, you know... And over the over the period of time obviously that changes, but I had that was the most difficult thing I had to do was to capture that myself. So I can't imagine what it was like for you because you had so many more different elements that you had to then try and kinda of keep together.
1: But I think it's that's I mean that's that's really interesting. I think it's also that's where we're given leeway to maybe make the characters more empathetic today because we're putting we're taking characters who have been in extreme situations and who are in extreme situations the ones we put them into so they're going to question they're going to learn something new they're going to break with the mores of the time because we're putting them in these extreme situations so i think that's when it becomes valid that we are able to 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 move their values perhaps to a more Away from what is more um, usual of the time, and I yeah. think that's valid because people in those extreme situations, you do question, you do look at things again, you do think, well, no, that's not how it is.
0: Yeah, and it ate the balance in itself. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing that fascinates me. Right, I that's, just I just love that, and I love diving into it. You gotta tell us to how did you get the idea for this? This this, the duo of books, where was the spark? That, that for, for,
1: the, for for Eddie in the books, it, it's yeah. I think like lots of things, there are lots of ideas that find their way to each other. Years ago, I, I researched. I I did, I researched into the French Resistance movement in the vehicle and one of the things that really struck me were the factions within the resistance. There was there was nothing clear cut, you know. No. It wasn't that sort of the Germans invaded one day and the next day everyone got up and blew up a train. It just didn't work that way. It was people... I I saw a statistic once that said that 3% of the population actively resisted, 3% actively collaborated. That means 94% just tried to get by, they just tried to survive. Well, that's what interests me, it's that those, the ones who just tried to get by, the ones who are trying to live. There's also that subtle nuance of what is resistance? What is collaboration? Eddie's a police officer. If he's working with the Germans, does that make him a collaborator? But then if he if he does what he can to hide things from the Germans and sort of find his own solutions and his own justice, does that make him a resistant? It, that's what I found fascinating. And, and the chatter
0: he must have lived with too, if you think oh about it. Course. idea of the soldier's deciding, you know, he's going to a camp because we, we can't control him or
2: mm, he's mm. too
0: much of a danger for what we're doing. That threat, that level of stress too, must have had a huge impact on
1: Oh, him. enormous. I mean, I mean, in the case of Eddie, he, I mean, he's, he's walking this tightrope between yeah. resistance and collaboration, between defiance and complicity. And he has to decide when he falls down one side or the other to, to for his own ends. Yeah. And and, and it's... I, I sort of, won- sorry.
0: I wonder if there was a moment that you and you were writing that you had to kind of sit there and think, do I have him picked up now? Or can he skate out of this? Like, there must have been several moments you thought, there's no way the Germans are going to let him move with this, you know.
1: Well, I think that's where the importance of relationship with Hochstetter... Hochstetter's a a German major, he's in the Abwehr, military intelligence, but he's not a Nazi, he's not a Nazi sympathizer. He never openly comes out and says that, but Eddie suspects it, and and so he knows up to what point, or he starts to learn up to what point he can push Hochstetter where there's going to be give and take what he can get away with and what he can't that doesn't always protect him with other parts of the German the, the Nazi structure the, the, the Gestapo the, the yeah. GFP it, that, that doesn't always help but he has support in Hochstetter I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship Hochstetter needs Eddie to keep on top of, of policing in Paris so they, they use each other but Eddie uses that For his own to make to make sure that he can get through this, that he can survive. But of course, in the long term, what effect is that going to have on Eddie and his relationship with other French people? If he's seen to be working with this German officer, it's curious. Um, And obviously, when
0: the war changes, is he uh, going to be able to stay in Paris, or is he going to feel like I have to leave now that the war is over? Because that that fracture with my own people mm. is there, and I can't live with that.
1: This, this is it. I mean, the, the, I have a, I have a, an idea of how Eddie's story will change over the course of the occupation. Yeah. I don't yet know what the outcome will be until I write it, until I get there. But I have. An I know idea. that
0: feeling too. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah <laughs> we all do, because you explore through the writing. But I I, th- I think I know the course that it will take. And of course Eddie's history, his his personal story, is going to be so inextricably tied up with the story with the history of the occupation and yes. the phase of the occupation and when things got worse and when the, the the basically the Nazi structure took over governorship of Paris and when yes. the, 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 the appalling persecution ramped up that's when eddie is put in will be put in a situation where he has to say well how do i cope with this what Mm -hmm. do i do in what way can i resist in what way do i have to not resist yeah survive and and i think what atrocities
0: uh, is is he going to have to accept that he can't get justice for those people that he's going to have to let it go and i think that mm -hmm. in itself mm -hmm. is going to be so powerful
1: there, there are moments in Paris Requiem and, I, and I'm, I'm working on the third book I'm, I'm working on the second draft of the third book yeah. and there are moments when he does have to almost take a decision between whether he does something good for a bad reason or something bad for a good reason yeah. he has to decide what do I sacrifice what do I allow to prosper And and I think that's going to be the nature of of his job all through. And I think that when you come back to you know why I, where this idea came from, I think it was that it was realizing well you know how would you survive this war? But then imagine you had a job like a police officer. Imagine you had a job where you had to work day by day. Basically doing the Nazis' dirty work for them. Um, you know what what effect must that have on you as a person and how do you do it and how do you cope with it and how do you get by and how do you And then
0: f- living with the terror of never knowing who's
2: going to scoop you up Well the exactly of the yeah, night ne- ne- never appear. knowing
1: who you can trust i mean that that was a, a big thing because i mean you know there, there were nuances of collaboration and people who would hand people over who would hand other french people over and, and that—that's what's important. It's—it's it's, it's how how you survive that, how you cope with that, and that—that and that always fascinated me. I—I um, I met a couple of resistance fighters long, long time ago. And I wanted them to be heroes, and they were just unpleasant. They really weren't very nice people.
2: And it yeah, was—it that was just, doesn't oh.
0: surprise me. It, it was really doesn't.
1: because imagine what they have been through, and sort of I, you know, I say I wanted the heroes. They were heroes. They weren't. Yes. Ju- they just weren't the classic Hollywood image of heroes. Exactly. And I think that's that's how you create characters that that have weaknesses, that have strengths, but they also have weaknesses. And the yeah. sort of you know heroes don't necessarily have to be nice people, and villains don't have to be one hundred percent evil. You know, they they, they 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 often have redeeming features, and I think that's how you create more real characters.
0: I totally agree with that, and in, in what you're saying about heroes not being heroes, I had that experience where I'm a bartender, I'm 18 years old, and I'm probably wet behind the ears, and here's this three old men mm-hmm. who are older than my grandfather, and they served, but they served. Shetland, to them they were serving Norway, Uh. you know there's that attitude in Shetland where we're Norwegian and we're Danish but we are not Scottish and they said themselves, they're like when we saw what the Germans were doing there were times when we could have saved German sailors but we decided not to Uh. he said we were very torn every day do we uphold maritime law, which is to help any boat in distress, any sailor in distress? Or do we realize that these people would slaughter us in a heartbeat? Because at that point there was a Shetland boat that had been targeted by the Germans as a message that they weren't going to accept these, these boats to be out in the North Sea. And Shetland was starting to starve. Mm. and when this boat who had kids on it and a woman on it was shot down and they were shot in the water mm. that was when they decided that they, were, they would save some but mm. not all and it would be very dependent on how they had a one question they would ask them are you a Nazi Mm. And if they said yes, they didn't save them. If they said, no, I am German, they would save them.
1: Good, great. What, what a, what a position what a responsibility young men to put into. Yeah. You know, and and it, we, we can't judge that. It's no. impossible for us to judge that at this distance. You, know, you cannot. I and mean, what a position it, for young men to be it put It was
0: in. hellacious to think, like my grandfather said, there was a U.S. submarine that was kind of left to float on the bottom of the ocean, disabled mm-hmm. by the Germans, and his job was to get them out. He was, a, he was in charge of the diving team that was to go down and get them out, and they could only save half of them,
2: yeah,
0: and they got hit while they were saving the German boat took a shot even though they knew they were merchant which meant they were not officially mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of the war they were out there to save others and he remembered patching the ship and saying boys I don't care what's in that U-boat you go back and you get the rest
2: good and he good. actually
0: that was one of his stories he told me good and advice. I thought like, wow, you know, for him to have to make that decision and then live with that, you know, that was
1: but I, I, th- I think that's also why we write historical fiction, it's to keep those stories alive. You know, it's, it's, it's not the kings and queens that we're interested in, it's the ordinary people, the people who put in impossible situations, who had to take those, those awful decisions, and who, who show all sorts of bravery i mean and, and i mean uh, under occupation even just getting by feeding your family was yeah. brave you know and yeah. i think i think that's what we we set out to do as historical fiction writers is to keep alive those stories
0: yeah. and i mean Not imagine the decision of whether to continue fighting or whether to surrender mm-hmm. that must have been hellacious to be that person to make that that choice yeah. as well
1: and yeah and not knowing not having any clue whatsoever what would happen to you one way or the other yeah yeah and yeah. yeah, no, that's without sort of that your whole fate taken out of your hands like that.
0: and would your countrymen hate you yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly. would you
0: have to f- to be in exile yeah. from your very own
2: blood?
1: would you would you hate yourself yeah. You no, know, uh, how would you see yourself after those acts? Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that's what we explore. I think that's what we we use historical fiction to do is to explore that, to explore the way ordinary humans react in those extraordinary circumstances and the circumstances they should never be called to be put into.
0: Exactly. And I I think for me, like my inspiration was Catherine Cookson. Who got you into historical? Was there was there a Pacific writer that just drew you into this area?
1: Yeah, the, yes, I suppose yes. I mean when I was a kid, my mum gave me a copy of The Silver Sword by Ian Sarelia.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Which is just an extraordinary story. It's it's about um Polish refugees from Warsaw in World War Two and they're all displaced. It's a family that's split up, you know, it's it's a kid's story. They're trying to find their way to each other and the people they meet on the way to finding each other. And I think that was the moment I read that and thought, I want to do this. This is what I want to write. You know, This is what I want to do. I want to write. And then, it, it, then as an adult, I read Josephine Tay, The Daughter of Time.
2: Wow.
1: Which is just sublime. It's everything a historical crime fiction book should be. Yeah. She, It's... I mean, the, the 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 main character is in a hospital bed. You know, there are no shootouts and car chases and what have you. It's just cerebral. It's him trying to solve a problem with what he's got at his disposal, yeah. and it and it and it's such a brilliant book. It 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 contributed to the debate on Richard the Third, on the the murder of the princes in the Tower. It, it it's just sublime, and it's sort of you see that and you see the power of that. And thought, yeah, that, that, those were the ones I would say that, that, that made me want to write historically. And is
0: there like a time period that you're, you're wanting to write that you haven't maybe gotten into yet?
1: Um, well, yeah, the Second World War is always interesting, but also the build-up the, the 20s and 30s. Yeah. That, that fascinates me. I have sort of ideas for stories that I want to set in that period. And the other sort of going completely the other way, I love Roman history. Spe- oh, okay. But specifically the time of the Twelve Caesars and and then the the, the invasion of Britain, and uh, but unfortunately, I mean, there are some brilliant stories already out there about that period. And um, Rosemary
0: Aiken, you would you would adore her. Yeah, she yeah, did yeah. that Roman crime series, and I thought, just when you said that, I was like, you know, she was such a lovely lady. She came on um, the show very early oh. on in the show, and I promote her book. Because she donated the profits of her her Roman crime series to the Ukraine uh-huh, thing, right. so it's a, an advert we have on every show, um, just remind oh, right. people, you know, this was really important. So yeah, just when you said that, I was like, oh, I love Rosemary, oh, and, yeah. and she's still writing; she's still yeah, writing yeah, yeah, these yeah. amazing stories.
1: Yeah, so so yeah, so that's. I mean, whether I'll get round to that, I don't know. It's a period that interests me, but whether. I would have the courage to write about that period. Whereas, no, the, the sort of the 20s and 30s and, and the Jazz Age in Paris in the 20s—that really fascinates me, and I, I sort of have ideas for stories in that time. So, yeah, so it, it sort you, of still within, it's there? still within a narrow, narrow sort of era. Sorry.
0: Do you do you actually go there and submerge yourself in that country, or
2: yeah, is it a case I, of?
1: I think you have to walk the streets. I mean, you have, I, I, because I know the the apartment block where Eddie lives. I've walked how he would have walked from his home to work. Um, yeah. and I, and I, I, I walk the streets and just sort of lose yourself in the in the various bits of Paris, just, wow. uh, just to know. I mean, I mean, it's been difficult the last few years.
0: Of course, yeah. You know, and I had be, to do yeah. a lot
1: from memory and photos I've got and what have you. But um, yeah, I, I do immerse myself. I do go there and and just yeah. walk and just yeah. and, and breathe it in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and sort of what you see when you look up at the sky and the colours of the, the colour of the buildings and all sorts of things. Yeah, and no, that's for me that's essential. You need to get there to know yeah. to know what it is you're writing about. And and there are also things, and you sort of, you know, you go through a city like Paris, and you come across a plaque on a street corner where three resistance members were shot in the liberation. Things like this. They've
0: uh, never forgotten, which is. This is it.
1: This is it. And and it's sort of, you know, and it's actually sort of very good for me as a writer to go there and be reminded of those things. You know, this is this is one of your reasons for writing these books. You have to keep that to keep that memory going. It's so, yes. actually
0: one of the reasons I want to go to sort of Denmark and Norway and Finland because I have... The great thing about Shetland is there's all these stories from the past mm. and how there's a, an actual belief that the Vikings still have a royal bloodline and oh. it's hidden in Norway.
2: Oh. And it
0: was, it was a group of rebel Templars that protected that secret and protected them and oh. that the royal family protected them and took them in and the idea of eventually into that and looking and seeing and riding the areas they would have ridden and absorbing that atmosphere is, is one of the things that i would love to do at some point Oh, because no, no. to to untie that story mm. you know the well, masons weren't all evil and and the catholic church had not full control over all the night templars and you know there was this mass force of Viking people that were forced into the Templar system. Yeah. Would they kill their own royals or would they protect that secret? So there's yeah. you know, I think that the great joy of history is you can, you can take stories that are just that tiny nugget and explore them and find yes. out just where that
2: goes.
1: Well, that, well, that's you know, that's the rabbit hole of research you go down, you start with yep. that nugget. And then you just go, and you, and you sort of come to a, a fork in the in the, in the, the rabbit hole, and say, "Which way do I go? Go this way." And then you go that way. And then you come back, and then go back down the other yeah,
0: way. Yeah, I definitely that, do that, that.
1: that. That's how that's how it that's how it goes,
0: really. And for me, it just started as it was a hushed story in a Mason pub. Yeah, cool. that cool. was all it was. And they were being so secretive about this little thing that they had been talking about and of course i'm nosy and i'm an earwigger. <laughs> being 18 i've not really got much else to do and it was my first job and i went to collect glasses and i heard this story and i kind of bullied them to tell me it and they told me it and they said right okay shh, shh.
2: <laughs> gotta say
0: a secret and now they've gone that group particularly have passed on but I got as much out of them as I could over uh, several months and I kept that written down and I thought I'm going to go and unravel that at some point but I need to go to Norway and I need it, to see the places and you feel get, the places
1: you get a whole new perspective and a whole new way of looking at it when you do go there and you should all start to feel it and experience it, it it's, and it, I have
0: been asked to come to Sweden so uh-huh. I have got an invitation from an author in Sweden who wants to show me around and I think that in itself because Sweden was a part of this story you know, they mm-hmm. they were the ones that held the money Yeah, that, that sort of supported the royals and, and they were the ones that snuck the, the money to them so that they could mm-hmm. live um, and I think when you look at that sort of Scandinavian bonds that fascinated me as well Yes. because yes. the countries have this kind of unitedness about them and the, what secrets do they have that they maybe haven't told the world yet
1: that's you no know, you have to pursue that you have to you know.
0: <laughs> it's my it's my hope if I can make enough money I'm going <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've got to you really yeah. have so, so um, tell that, that, me, that's, that's what happens. There are times. It, there's a story you have to write, yeah.
2: know, and
1: that, that's when you know it's the story for you. It's your story. You know you think, well, I, it, I, can't, I can't not write this. I have to do it. Yeah.
0: That's, I, that's. I've been yeah. so so lucky growing up where I did, mm. because Viking culture was just, it was in the air. You breathed it. You lived course, it. It yeah. was drummed into you, and it was the same with the dialect. You know it was drummed into us from the very minute we drew breath, and my mother didn't want me to have it. she wanted us to grow up speaking proper English and not to
2: ah. to be
0: fluent in the dialect, but even having that that idea she didn't didn't insulate me. I managed to pick it up from all <laughs> the family and, and and every island in Shetland's dialects different
2: mm, yeah
0: and it was amazing to me because I would go to all these new places and we would camp there in the summer and I would just soak it up yeah. and I would come home talking like that. And my mom would just be like, no, 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 you talk properly, talk properly. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it was great because when my grandmother thought that I couldn't understand, you know, her conversations and what I was saying, I'd be sitting there knowing exactly what she was saying because I had sucked in all it this dialect.
2: Um,
0: so I think storytelling is in Shetland people's blood because that was the only form of entertainment they had for so long mm, of and you know the winters are long in Shetland I mean you don't really get a lot of daylight in Shetland during the winter um, and then during the summer it never sets, the sun never really sets mm. so it's like you're in this magical world that you can't escape because the light's just never gone
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that, to me, was like, this place is too magical not to write. Sure. And yeah. I looked for stories. But I never thought I would be in historical fiction. I never thought I would go down that path. Um, but I, I feel like Catherine Crookseans sort of kind of nudged me in that direction <laughs> with her own work. Like, I couldn't quite get away from it. Especially when I heard the stories of her being dyslexic and the, the blood disorders she had. And that could have been cured, but mm. they just didn't have the tech at that time. Mm-hmm and and knowing like she suffered with severe depression and that was caused by her illness but they didn't know that like they didn't mm-hmm. know how to treat her so you know she was in and out and she couldn't have kids because of her blood disorder and mm-hmm. they couldn't explain that to her so she had to live with this well is there something wrong with me why can't i can't i have a family and so her books became her kids yeah and that to me was just mind-blowing you know she, up to the day she died, she was still recording her books into a, into a voice recorder. Mm-hmm. She never, ever gave up telling stories. And to go from being a servant with very little education to being a dame and a famous world author. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to aspire to that?
1: Oh yeah, no. I mean, you can only aspire so, to that.
0: No, exactly. So tell us, what's the book you've read most recently that you say have stuck with you the most?
1: Oof. Um I reread a book recently, and I don't normally okay. reread books because I always think that the, there's a bit of a danger in rereading a book.
0: I would agree there. Yeah. Because
1: yep. you you're not the same person, and so for some reason I yeah. reread A Month in the Country by J. L. Carr, which is which I read. I think I would have been in my twenties when I read it, and it's just the most beautiful book. It's about two men after the First World War, who are damaged by the war, who go and restore paintings in the church in the country. And it's just a beautiful story. And I read it again. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with it again. And I I remembered why I loved it so much. And I'm a very different person now from the person I was then. But it still resonated. I still loved it. And and that, for me, makes it... I, I know... I don't know how one defines a classic but maybe for me that makes it for me a classic that I can read at two very different ages in my life Yeah. Exactly. and it still resonates and it still meant a lot to me so I would say that A Month in the Country by J.L. Carr um, Yeah I, I, I
0: know that feeling because I, I picked up Tilly Trotter it was one of the first ones I read from, from Catherine and I fell in love with it and then over ten years later, I read it again, and I thought, "I'm oh, a different person. I've got life experience. I'm mm. not going to like this anymore." And I still loved it.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I still
0: just, adored it.
1: I think other than that that's the mark of a brilliant book because I think there, there are times that, and and it's not a book's fault if you don't like it the second time. But you're just at a different in a different stage of your life the, the, when you reread a book, and it probably it, it doesn't maybe affect you quite so much or doesn't resonate with you. It's nothing to do with the book. It's, it's more to do with the reader, you know, yes. where, where I am at that time. But whereas this, no, this worked. A month in the country really worked.
0: So what was your book to get you through COVID? Sorry? What was the book that got you through COVID?
1: I actually struggled to read in COVID, I must admit.
0: I did too.
1: And, and I, I, I don't think I could put my finger... On a book that I read through COVID. I mean, I actually because I was I was also trying to write through COVID,
0: which was hard.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. stuff. And I was doing a lot of research, so I think really the reading I did through COVID was was research books rather than a novel, and it, and it took me yeah. a bit of time to to get back into reading novels. And and, and I mean, I, I do remember one year. Uh, I think, I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021 I only read four novels in the whole year yep. Everything else was a research book I, um, I
0: found it difficult too Because I had started uni And I thought, oh, I'll still read the same amount in, Even though I've got this textbook in uni doing. And I realised very quickly No, that wasn't the case no. And I would I would struggle, you know, to read the textbook well, The mm-hmm. textbook was fine, but it was the Going and reading a novel and just enjoying the novel, yeah. I realized, was so difficult. And for me, in the first lockdown, I actually had to write with my parents in the house. Mm-hmm. And they're not used to writers. They're not used to our, our way of working, yeah. our mindset. So I would constantly have uh, my parents come and say, it's lunchtime. Not realizing that when I'm mm-hmm. in that position of writing and I'm in that mode, I would stop when I get to a point that's safe to stop and go and eat Um, but to my parents I still had to show up at 1 o'clock have my lunch and then I I had to show up at 5 and have my dinner and then show up at 8 to have my tea you know for bed and I was like it was so so difficult to write Um, and then I was lucky in the second year I I was in hospital quite a bit and for 3 weeks I didn't sleep Because of the way that I was, I was the, the illness I had, so I wrote a hundred thousand <laughs> words in three weeks.
1: Good grief!
0: Because I just didn't 000. sleep. Hundred thousand words in three my weeks. My
2: word.
0: Mind you, I'm still editing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not perfect yet, but for three weeks, because I couldn't sleep, writing was my only physical voice and physical escape, and I felt so so lucky to be able to have that and to be able to say yes you know i'm going to to write i'm going to write this book whether it kills me i'm going to write it
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: you know to the point where they're, they're literally taking the computer off me because they need to take me to theater and i'm like no i'm not finished oh, <laughs> you yeah. know and waking up and the first thing i said was glasses and then computer <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. you know
0: because <laughs> that's just the writer in you if you, if yeah. you get into that Place, it I, doesn't matter how sick you are, you have to just get it out.
1: I think that's the case. It was also that sort of, you know, through the lockdown keep the writer in you going. Even if the reader in you is struggling. Yeah. And I and I think that's why, and I think that's why whatever reading I did was was as I say, it was for research. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I mean but I struggled to write as well. I mean my word count dropped drastically.
0: It did, yeah. In, I think every know, one of us did. Struggle yeah, with I, that.
1: I think so uh, but if you
0: look at the sort of situation that we're in, it gave you maybe a good perspective of what you're writing in your novel because we were all living under that cloud of mm-hmm. terror, where we're like, "Are we going to get COVID? Because we've gone to the supermarket, or yeah. do you know, am I going to have to go in shielding anymore?" There was that never knowing what every day was going to bring.
1: We, yeah, whether we appreciated it at the time or not, it did inform our writing, inform our way of looking at things. Yeah. Which which is going to inform the the finished book.
2: Exactly. You no. Know,
1: um, I mean we're writers, we we use everything we see and everything we experience. And which is um,
0: incredible if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so which writers inspired, excited, and influenced you when it came to reading and writing?
1: Well I think as I said, I mean the first one I mentioned, Ian Sorreli who wrote the Silver Sword, I, I would say that he's the one who set me off you know that that, that made me think I want to write um, and then yeah, I mean I, in terms of crime writing, I did love the, the great crime writers of that time the Agatha Christie's, the P.D. James the uh, Marjorie Allingham Patricia Highsmith people like that, and then Josephine Tay Josephine Tay was another turning point she she, um she, she took historical crime fiction to another level, I think. Then sort of non-crime writers, I would say people like Jonathan Coe. I loved, I loved um, Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and Terry Pratchett. That love of language, that way that you can be um, intelligently silly. And I, I,
0: <laughs> I like thought, that, intelligently silly <laughs> right? I'd rather
1: like that, you read their books and, and they're, they're, they're silly but they're so intelligent you know
0: it's such a way of putting worlds together, Yeah, worlds that made no real logical sense but you couldn't get enough of those worlds and I think yeah. that's the mark of a really awesome fantasy writer, is to be able to do
2: that
1: but, but and as you say, they made no sense, but you accepted it. You thought, yeah, yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But, it, but it was also the love of language, the way they played with language. And, and Jonathan Coe is a very different writer, but the way he plays with language is beautiful. So I, I would say, say those. Um, and then, again, coming back to historical fiction, Robert Harris. we sort of come uh, up more up to date. I love Robert Harris. And I, I love his ability to write different time periods you know from from the ancient rome again to the second world war to to the 1930s he's he's just and he when he's got the one now set in the 17th century which i haven't read yet um and and I, I just think his level of research his ability to bring those world that period to life he's he's quite phenomenal and i i would say that yeah he's he's one who really does inspire me and inspires me to greatness
0: i i totally agree because in the last couple of years i've discovered new historical writers that i never knew about and one of them was elizabeth Chatwick. now i got told this is a historical romance so i had a full expectation of what i was getting into and it wasn't Uh it is it's not marketed right there don't get me wrong There is elements of relationships, and I think every story has that, right? Yes, yeah. And she was very brutal about this is what the world is like, this is what people are dealing with.
1: Yeah,
0: that I adored because I thought she gets it. She's able to bring this, you know, she was able to go to a Nordic time where Vikings were living in England and they were living with Saxons but there was that no knowledge that hey look it's a Norwegian king on the throne Mm. but she didn't get it wrong she captured it in such a way where you experience what this woman went through ending up losing her husband then she gets involved with the guy who who killed him, but also being aware of I've got a child now I'm with him he's got a wife in a different country and you got that sort of and tearing and the characters were so well built, it was hard to let them go. And I think she did an exceptional job. And the other one that I, I read that truly blew my mind was Leslie Pierce's The Gypsy. No,
2: I not that. No, no.
0: Now, that one is not well known. It was it was a pure find that I, I had one day and it was a big hardback and I thought, right, I'll take this in because I need something to read and I read it and it really covers the journey of a a brother and sister who have to leave England because their family's dead Mm. and they've got to go make a new life in the new world and it's, none of it's sugar-coated and it is heart-wrenching and heartbreaking as they travel to New York and then from New York across to where, um I guess it would be portland now Mm. and you know the loss that she has and the struggle she has and the realization that the only person she can depend on is herself Mm. and she goes from being this young innocent naive teenager to this woman who will do whatever it takes to provide for herself above all else and i thought wow that's that's a hell of a moving story It might be one that you would actually enjoy, just simply yeah. because I, I feel like they got the history. She got the history right.
1: Yeah, I, I, that that is important. You want to sort of feel that you are that that, it, that it's truthful. I think it, it's. You love it. I, I don't know what word one can use if you if you want to use accurate or what have you. But for me, if it's truthful, if it's if it if it genuinely portrays what it must have been like in that era then yeah. uh, yes it, it will appeal to me
0: but I, I was so surprised because you know there's there's a lot of amazing historical writers out there. so to find them, I just I, I was bawled over by how strong they were mm. and how strong the writing in the story really was. Mm. So when you go to a bookstore? and we talked about this a bit earlier but when you go to a bookstore where do you end up first where's like the place that you're drawn to the most
1: i can't help it crime i look at crime and then within that i'm looking for historical crime
0: Uh and i have i'm
1: i'm I'm appalling when i go into a bookshop it's like my whole memory flies out the window because i go to the bookshop thinking i'm going to look for this books by this person this person this person who someone's told me about Never written. If I'm going to go in there, and I go into the bookshop, and I've forgotten every single one, and I do it yep. every single time, but yeah, I um,
0: I tried I, taking I, a I list. Always, that sorry? doesn't work either. Don't no, take I've a list because it doesn't work either.
1: No. no, not at all. No, no, I can't do that. So, so yeah. So I, I go. Yes, yeah, so I I naturally gravitate towards the crime. Within that, I'm looking for historical crime, and then I'm going to the history section. Yeah. Uh, and I spend. Ages browsing through the history section, um, and all all periods and sort of sort of periods that I think I'm not really going to like, and I, I discover I do. There's something going back to our to our um to what what got us on the way to being a reader and a writer. When I was a kid growing up, my local library had this system that every time you took out a, a fiction book. You had to take out a non fiction book. And it was just oh, the God. most.
0: we never had that.
1: It was just the most wonder I've told other people in towns near me, in their library, they didn't have it. It was just our local library. And right. it was wonderful because it meant that you would sort of choose a non fiction book yeah. about something that you would never otherwise have read. I mean, and I think that is what created a curiosity in me from the start to learn yeah. new things. And then, so, you know, there were sort of periods in, his, in history or there were certain books on um, certain subjects that you sort of found, yeah, I gravitated towards those when I was a kid in the library. And it, and it sort of created that, I, that wish to, to learn more about different eras, different disciplines, all sorts of things. And so when I go into a bookshop, yeah, as I say, it's, it's, I'm into the history section and just working from left to right. Yeah, go, no, go I, I know that. From really. History to the modern day. Yeah.
0: Because I I got into Fiona Cummings, who's a heck of a crime writer. She's just absolutely mind blowing, and that was my real first dip into crime.
2: Oh, right. Okay. I hadn't.
0: I hadn't. I got a book sent to me, asked for a review by Pan McMillan,
2: mm-hmm. I think
0: it was, and it was Bone Collector. It was her first book.
2: That's right.
0: I just got blown away and I collect her now, I can't help it if I see oh, one yeah. out of hers I pick it up and I, w- I had her on the uh, the podcast and I was like one of these giddy kids, <laughs> I'm not starstruck by wrestlers or actors or any of those people, it's writers that starstruck me yeah, yeah. and I was just so nervous coming on to talk to her and I had actually read Into the Dark which was her new one, I highly recommend it
1: She's on, she's on my TBR I have not read one yet And it, I know she's on my to-do list
0: She's you know, absolutely Incredible yeah. Don't read The Bone Collector In hospital though Because you will have nightmares <laughs> I wish somebody had told me that Because I was in uh, for a stay I think it was like I had a month's stay And so Ian brought me in a crime book Because he thought oh well that'll take her mind off and I devoured it but the only problem was that I you know there's parts of it that has to do with medicine and I was creeped out um. every t- I was honestly the staff were laughing at me and I said Well you go read it and then tell me if you're not <laughs> Oh, wow! and I, they all went and they all got copies and then when I came back for a visit they were like you weren't half kidding <laughs> you know like they've been texting each other you know on their days off and then gathering in groups to talk about this book that i had read in the hospital
2: oh, and no. yeah
0: in fact one person said it was better than peaky blinders which was the popular show they all watched yeah, yeah, in the yeah, ward yeah. and uh yeah so i started yeah, no. off a craze in that ward um uh, <laughs> which um the besties were creeped out for quite some time, actually, till till they write the last one. So. It is
1: lovely when you discover a new writer and realise they've actually got a lot of books out. Yes, I love that. That that's a great feeling. I've, I've
0: i I've, I must admit, I went into we used to have Barnes and Noble. Do you remember those days? Yeah, yeah. So I went into Barnes and Noble, and I had just moved here. Like I had just moved to Scot, like the Midlands of Scotland. So I wasn't used to bookshops like this. This was just absolutely mind blowing for me. And I found Shirley Cannon. And at that point, Shirley Cannon had like fifteen books out by this point. Mm. I think she's way up to like forty-seven now or something like that. And with with her, it was like the excitement to discover that this woman was so prolific that I would never have to, if I didn't want to read anybody else, <laughs> I could literally read her. and um, and that was when the obsession started with the books. And that's when he realized, mm, I've got a problem here. <laughs> As uh, our small apartment, our one bedroom apartment started to fill up with bookcases Ooh, and dear. books and, and, I was in the bath I would go in the bath for four hours and I would just read and read and read. And he'd be like, Are you done yet? Are you done yet? <laughs> you know. But that that was the joy of it. Um, and I never thought I'd find somebody that had as much out as as Catherine did. Yeah. yeah. So it just sent me on this incredible journey to find all these other yeah. as many as I could find, you know. I, I lived in Barnes and Noble for like my first four <laughs> years in Glasgow. If he, if you he didn't know where I was, Ian would always say check Barnes and all. You know, because I could just get a bus.
2: Yeah. And
0: that was another thing I wasn't used to just jumping a bus. In uh. Shetland, you could walk pretty much anywhere you wanted. Um, and I used to jump the bus and go in, and and they'd find me in the coffee shop, and I'd have bought something new, and I would be sitting there with my cup of coffee and my book and just just reading. Um. So, yeah no it's great if you if you find that so other than your local store do you go to any of the bigger ones
1: yeah I do well because I live on the outskirts of you know sort of outside Cardiff so I've got a fabulous local bookshop here in in my town which is great and they're, they're actually organising the launch of the the new oh, book in uh-huh. yet to February and they're lovely They're they're brilliant and they can get you any book you want and it's it's not a big shop it's a small shop but yeah what a selection they have! It's absolutely brilliant. That's what makes the shop. They're all really knowledgeable. They all know their stuff, and they all love books. But yeah. then, so the, you know, so I mean, and then, but then in Cardiff we we have a big waterstone, which is great, really, really good. And then sort of all round here, we so, you know we we've got sort of a there are about five Waterstones down in South Wales, wow. which are all one you know sort of spread out from Newport to Carmarthen. That's and amazing. they're great and they're all brilliant and they're all lovely people and then, uh, yeah so, so I, yeah, I've got a choice and there's a good few more indies as well in um, sort of towns and there's some lovely towns to go to and you go there and they're really pretty they're in the in, in the Y Valley or what have you and you go there go and buy some books go for lunch go home and it's, it's um, just it's just the perfect day out
0: well my my last year was in uh, I think it was two thousand. 14 and we went down to Durham and we started in Durham oh. and I made my way up to Sterling and then into Glasgow and we. D- I think we did it over three days but just that experience, that first ever time going from store to store
2: oh, signing yeah. books mm-hmm.
0: was amazing I, I kind of wish my publisher was a bit more organized than because <laughs> than I, I would be showing up Two minutes after the books had arrived.
2: Oh, so they yeah. wouldn't
0: even be displayed yet. They wouldn't, you know, another marketing material was there. It was a case of I was showing up and selling it like a car salesman <laughs> a little bit because they were, the publisher was just so disorganized. Yeah. But that experience of just going from time to time oh, and meeting that, all these people was just I, amazing.
1: That was lovely. I had that last September because yeah. the, the first book the Armante did was Waterstones Welsh book of the month. Wow. and I went round there are eight Waterstones in the whole of Wales and yeah. I travelled round the whole country over two days signing books and just met the nicest people in the world all the Waterstones booksellers were such lovely people and of course I spent a fortune buying books because every time you go into a bookshop to sign your own book there are lots of books where other people think I've got to buy that Yep. so I ended up I did the same the I came back with
0: like 15 or something from Viper yeah. yeah. and yeah. yeah
1: that rings a bell yeah that. but that's a
0: great thing i i love tours for that um mm. my goal is to come to cardiff and wales to do a signing i haven't gotten to go there yet but that's that's one of my dreams is to to go there and to sign books well, as, it, as
2: it's
1: through you know there's a way of south wales and then sort of up to Aberystwyth and clandid and Wrexham up in the north you know and then in the centre of the country no we've got got some nice indies and and Waterstones is great so yeah yeah, we're we're, we're okay
2: (laughs) because
0: what I love about Cardiff is you guys just had that big wrestling event in Cardiff Um, and you guys are the the fan base in Cardiff are are just insane, they're just so excitable, so when my book relaunches one of the things that I had suggested was to, to do something in Cardiff so I need to convince Waterstones in Cardiff to let me and Joe come over and, and do something there. And I think that would be... I'd get to meet you, maybe, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That would yeah,
1: be awesome. Of also. course, let me know. Grunge, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but that, that's my goal, because wrestling is very specific to certain areas. Oh, right, So, okay. like, Norwich, um, they have, like, a wrestling, big wrestling school there, which, uh-huh. um, if you've ever seen fighting with the family the girl that that story is based off of comes from Norwich. Oh,
2: Okay.
0: so it's a case of when we do these wrestling based stuff it has to be in the areas where wrestling
2: cool' yeah, big yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: um and it my husband's like where am I driving to <laughs> <laughs> you know he's just like he's kind of dreading the tour a little bit because he knows that I'll practice reading whatever book it is I'm citing so he knows Everything I've ever written so intimately, um, and then he'll tell me what's wrong with it. Ah, that's good, you need that. Yeah, very, very honest. Um, you know, I I, he did not, none of us actually noticed one of the big plot holes I had originally in the series. And a wrestling friend of mine texted me from Atlanta and he went, Crystal, I could drive a bus through one of your (laughs) plot holes, and I was like. Of all the things he could have texted me, <laughs> that's what he chose—not the the pretty colored cover or the fact that you know we dedicated him to the book to him. No, 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 it was—I could drive a plot hole through that. And I was just like, really?
2: <laughs> oh, no.
0: But you gotta love—you gotta love the support, I suppose. Um, yeah. You know that—that's—that's that's the amazing thing is—is is to to be grateful for the support that you get.
1: Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. My wife read i ask her to read snippets here and then say how does that sound is that okay not the whole book just little parts and i feel sorry for her because i'm getting her to read these completely isolated parts and expect her to give me a really good answer yeah
0: like context she's really like context
1: context yeah exactly no i I do explain well this is when he's doing this and he wants to know that and but she's brilliant and she's very honest and she says well that works that doesn't change that that, I think that, I
0: think we all need somebody like that. Though.
1: Oh, definitely, and 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 it's again coming back to the fact that she's a reader. I'm yeah. very lucky because she's she's dis- a discerning reader, <laughs> you know, and she has definite tastes, and so so yeah. she knows what to look for, and she knows where well, You can't say that, or as long as you yeah. you know you say word
0: it differently, yeah, yeah. yeah. I re- I remember giving uh, my first one of my first launches, Carla, which was in the fantasy world to Ian and he the first thing he said to me was you could have deleted the first 100 pages
2: Oof.
0: and I was like "Um, thanks like, <laughs> there was this awkwardness of, I don't know what to say to that um, but he was being honest because to him he didn't understand covering the turmoil or the emotions or the setting up of mm. the action so to him he it only got funny and interesting to him after the first hundred pages, <laughs> and I was just like, "You can't just start with action; you, you kind of have to mm. build in the other stuff." So it it was humorous to me. This was the first YA book he ever read, and that was his takeaway: was yeah. you know, could you not delete the first hundred pages? Um, but I yeah, know. I got him. I got him into reading. It wasn't until COVID started and he started driving buses that. That he actually stopped reading um, huh? and I'm trying to get him back into it so um, cool. fingers crossed that I can nudge him that way I think it's important as well for your for everybody's mental health to be able to read as well because it's it's oh, an escape
1: completely. Completely.
0: so coming into writing how did you go about creating the sort of the darker grittier elements was it like a did you have to set up a mood or was there a particular thing you had to do to get into that frame of mind. Well, it, it,
1: yeah, it, all sorts of things. Well, I mean, again, I'm writing about a period that was one of the darkest in history. I mean, it, it's I and mean, sadly, it's there ready-made for you. It, you know, it's yes. it, you know, the, the, the more you research, the more heartbreaking, the more distressing, the more heartbreaking, and the more crushing things you read. It creates the the dark elements. They're there already. It it's, it's more a case of how you respond to them, how you how you react to them. And I think it, that's when we sort of come back to the whole idea of characters. That characters can't be all all one all good or all bad. I think you have to give yeah. your your heroes. They, they they can't be perfect. No one is. The villains villains don't regard themselves as villains they think what they're doing is right they can't do anything wrong and often you have to give a villain a redeeming feature or some redeeming aspect to their character that makes them more real so I think it's it, it sort of it, it's almost that it starts dark and you have to pull it back yeah. into the light a little bit um, yeah. simply because of the nature of the period I'm writing about Uh, And and I think that's important. And and, and I I would get myself. Often I'll get myself into the um, onto the wavelength of writing about that period by watching old newsreel um, just before I write. I did, yeah. Yeah, I I I think it helps. I also often I have music for each character in each book. Oh okay. I can't I can't write to music. I have to have silence. But before, if I'm going to write a key scene with certain characters, then I'll play their signature tune, just for me, just quickly, so I get into it. But then other times, yeah, I'll write, I'll watch um, old newsreel footage of occupied Paris, or, or or some aspect of that time, and and that's what gets me into it. But as I say, I mean, the 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 darkness is there already. It, it's it's a case of what you do with it and how you try and in a way you you do often have to try and lighten up the darkness and pull it back to where it's something that a reader wants to read it can't be Mm -hmm. inexorably dark it can't be too bleak you know there has to be some sort of letter yeah there's a case of 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 pulling back a little bit from the darkness um but but knowing i think
0: that's hard to do that is hard to do because there's that part of you that says, oh, "I need to be true. I need to be true. I need to yeah, be yeah, true." Yeah, yeah, But you also have to realize is that even though they were occupied, even though all this awful stuff was going on, they did laugh, and yeah, there no. was joyful moments, and there was ones that went out of their way to say, "Okay, we're under, you know, occupation, but I'm still going to sing. I'm still mm. going to skip. I'm still going to do all these things."
1: Well, this is it i mean the cinemas opened up again the music halls the clubs the bars the cafes yeah. they all opened up again the race uh the race horses the race course outside paris that opened up again you know people had to i mean a part of it was also the occupier using the sort of beer and circuses to keep the population in check and, and, and to keep, yeah. keep control and they keep distracted but it was also people themselves. And, of course, and there's, the, inevitably and there's a gallows humour, there's a dark humour to how yes. people respond to it, and we all do that. We, we all sort of find humour in darkness because it's a way of coping with it. And, and I think that's what, that's what you have to find to, exactly. to, to, to keep true. You have to, you have to know when to keep it dark, when to keep it truthful, when to say, look, this happened. And then when to lighten up. And it's that sort exactly. of bouncing around between dark and shade, dark and light rather, uh, that, that, that you need to know what to do. Um, exactly. It, it's challenging, but it's fascinating to do.
0: Yeah, and I think that's so important because you need, that, you need that balance so that the readers can actually fully immerse themselves and not feel like they're reading tragedy especially yeah. nowadays when tragedy is literally all around us it's all us. around
1: us yeah. you, can't, you, yeah. can't, you can't impose that on a no. you know? That there, there has to be a letter there has to be some sort of relief, there have to be characters that are maybe slightly more light hearted or, or more humorous and, exactly. I, and I think it does need that, that humour and it might be dark humour, it might be gallows humour but it does need that humour one because that's how people got through it but also to to lighten it up for your reader you know you, 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 can't, you can't make them miserable
0: you can and I think that's such a good way of looking at it, what would you say made you choose this genre was there like a major factor that said this is what I'm going to write
1: um, I often think it chose me um, okay I, that's a
0: different way of looking at it
1: Cause I, I sort of I knew I wanted to write I always wanted to write and for a long time I didn't yeah. know what and then I, I was just looking at my bookshelves one day and, and realised you do have an awful lot of crime books here and that made me realise Well, if that's what you read that's what you should be writing and then I sort of got into it more and, th- and then I sort of read the Josephine Tay book and thought yep that's it that's what I want to do and I mean I, I, I think Crime is a structure on which yes. you place any story. You can tell any story you want through a crime fiction, through a crime novel. And and what we were saying earlier that you, I mean, you you have a whole range. You can go from the very plot-driven, the very Agatha Christie plot-driven type things, to the very character-driven ones. Now I'm more interested in in the character-driven. I'm more interested in the story of individuals and of people. So I go that way, but but that's what I love about crime fiction. It allows you that scope. You you know you have to veer into the plot part at times to explain and to be honest and 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 make sure there are no plot holes. But then it's driven by character. And I love the fact. And and I can talk about any issue I want through that time.
2: Yeah.
1: And and I always think of sort of. Crime or fiction, historical fiction writers as gate openers. We open up the door to a period that people maybe don't know so much about. They might never read a, a fiction, a non-fiction book, yes. but they will read a, a crime novel, and that's how you sort of open up that world, open up that period to people who might not otherwise read about it. And I think also the other thing, the other important thing with crime fiction is that normally the baddies get their comeuppance in the end exactly. and that doesn't happen in real life and it's rather nice that you know, which is why we deal with a police detective because they have access to all areas they can rummage around in people's lives and, 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 and um, to, to investigate the crimes and then they provide a resolution they, 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 they solve the crime the baddies get their comeuppance it doesn't always happen that way and it's not always that neat but it, but it does give a resolution that we just don't get in real life. Exactly. I think, I think that's why crime fiction appeals to me, and the historical crime fiction is that whole thing of, 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 of the opening a door.
0: So when you're putting it together, is it jigsaw or more like a movie kind of sequence?
1: Oh, a movie. Movie completely. And it, it's, kind, it's odd, because I write Eddie in the first person. So when I'm thinking of the story before... I see it as a movie, like I'm in the audience, but it's almost like I'm looking down on it rather than up at a screen, I'm looking down on it.
2: Yeah,
0: of course.
1: And I see everyone. When I start writing, I'm looking through Eddie's eyes because it's first person, so I only see yeah. what he sees. With the actual act of writing, I, don't, I lose that overall image, I lose that cinema image, I see what he sees.
0: Yeah, you love it,
1: yeah. And and it's and it and it's quite good as well because I mean I I see the point about the jigsaw but I mean for me with with as a cinema you can then if there's something you realise ah that needs to go in it's like a rewind button and you can take it back you can it's like winding an old video back or something you can take it back and you can insert insert a a a theme or a strand or a part of the plot there then go back to the main action where, where you were. Yeah. so yeah it, for me it's a movie through and through and I often, I often actually see it in black and white as well because of the period it's set of it's course, really yeah. sometimes it's in colour sometimes it's black and white it's, I think, I think it's, it's often black and white when I'm seeing it as the cinema when I'm yeah. seeing it through Eddie it's, it goes into colour
0: yeah. no that makes horror. sense Yeah. But for uh, me like I know from when I was writing Wells Manor it was like the film was being projected through my eyes Okay. So I was almost seeing it as if I was the projector, and then the movie was happening kind of right there.
2: Okay. Which
0: was a very—it's my first experience having that. Uh huh. And it was incredible because I felt like I was able to capture everybody all at once. But well, that's And move with it.
1: But well, that, that—that sort of—that's inter- in a way, it's kind of an equivalent of how I see it from above. Yeah. It's sort of you know, if we were sitting in a cinema we'd be passive, we'd be just watching. Whereas yeah. you're projecting it, I'm looking at it from above like I'm getting an overview. That that sort of sort of means we're in charge. We're the ones responsible. Yes. Yeah. you know, you know we're, we're not just a passive audience watching something up there in front of us.
0: And I think that's why when I write I just wanna get it all down and then oh. I worry about the edits, the character placements. I got the wrong hair colour at some point? Did I kill Um, a dog by accident and not realise it? You know, the tiny details that we need to make sure that it's perfect. But I think the most important thing for me is just making sure that I don't lose that projection and I get as much down as quickly as I can.
1: And that's, I find that a problem. I I agree. That's what I try to do. I find it a problem with historical fiction because you suddenly come to a point where you need to know if something is accurate.
0: Yes. And, and then you kind of dive into Google and you're gone for it. like three days yeah
1: this is it because I, I I have a, a friend who's a historical crime writer and she says what she does is she writes a note and goes back to check it afterwards I cannot do, I that. do that I can't do that
0: either
2: no
1: wait I, um, and I mean there was one in in this book now Paris Requiem where I wanted Eddie to go into a cafe and have a whiskey to calm his nerves and it's just you know, that's kind of a throwaway scene. You'd think that would be a natural thing. Yes. Well, actually, could he have gone into a cafe to have a whiskey? So you need to check. And I yeah. can't carry on writing that scene, so I checked. And as it turns out, he couldn't have, because that Look. happened in the September, and Vichy banned the sale of alcohol over 16% in August. So he couldn't have done it. Yeah. But So I'm glad that I didn't carry on writing that scene, because it would have been wasted. So yeah, So... Like-
0: I think I I had a moment where I was like, could they go into the main town of of Lerwick and watch the news in the theatre? So I had to then stop everything, and I Mm. had to dive in and say, well, was there a theatre that was showing the beginning of the war? And then I was like, no, they wouldn't have been able to see it. It, They would have been relying on the wireless, and they would have been relying on the servants to tell them what was going on?
1: Completely, yeah.
0: Um, you know, in notes and messengers were still used then. So, mm. you know, sneaking messages out to people was something else that they did, and it was kind of almost like a rebellion for the girls to be able to sneak messages to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if I had gone with that idea of oh, they would have gone to the cinema to watch what was going on in the uh, in the war, I would have had that totally wrong. So I understand um, that. I I had to stop and I had to go Google and I had to check.
1: And uh, you do, and and one of the points of research. I mean, you want to get it accurate, but one of the other things is make sure you don't get anything wrong, because if yes. you do, you lose your readers. Because if yep. you, there will be a reader who knows, well, that's not possible. Yeah. Or there's somebody that'll check as well. Yeah. They 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 just won't trust the rest of the book, and, you, and yes. you've lost them. And. You know, you, you, but we also
0: have to be forgiving of ourselves.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. always
0: say that we have to forgive ourselves because we're not going to get it right all the time. Mm. And I think there is a kind of leeway with some readers where they're like, "Okay, well, they're not going to get it perfect every mm. time." Mm. So they they give us that kind of leeway of, "Okay, let's see where they're taking this," or if they love the character enough, they'll keep going. Mm. Um. And I think that rel- that bond and relationship between us and them is so 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 important. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. But I mean I mean also I mean ultimately we're storytellers, we're not historians, we're not writing history. Exactly. We're not writing um non fiction books, we're writing stories.
0: I think so we have to remind ourselves of that as well.
1: There is a kind of a leeway. But as long as it's not a howl, as long as it's not awful.
0: Yeah, as long as it's not blatant, you yeah. know. Um
1: yeah, ed, ed, someone in the Second World War goes on the internet.
0: Exactly, like <laughs> you have to be considerate of certain things. You can yeah. get away with some things, but you can't get away with with, yeah. with everything. Yeah. So, do you have a character that stayed with you the most or the longest?
1: Eddie, Eddie through Eddie? and through, because yeah. he lives in my head. Because, because um, wow. as as when I'm writing, I see things through through him, and I imagine him in situations. I imagine him in a shop. Right. I go into a shop and I imagine he comes in as well and he how would he interact with the person behind the counter? How would he how would he greet yeah. someone on, you know, on the street? As you know, as I walk past him, someone in the, when I'm back for a walk and I say good morning I think, Well yeah. how would Eddie do this? How would Eddie do that? So he stays with me to an extent Hofstetter as because well, he's he's Eddie's nemesis in, in his way, he's Eddie's mirror. Um, and so he he's with me as well, but it's it's Eddie mainly but Hofstetter there as well because of the relationship with Eddie.
0: Is there a character you wish you could write more about?
1: Yeah, there's... there's, Yeah, you, yes, all the time. There are the ones that you have as these little sort of bit parts or maybe not such bit parts. Um, there's, I mean, there's there's a character in this in Paris Requiem who was only ever... Another cop called Boniface who was only ever meant to appear in one scene uh, and be a very minor part. And he was just too fascinating. I enjoyed him too much. And there's so he, always
0: one. There's oh, always one.
1: And, and he plays a big part in the book. He's important. Yeah. And then there's, there's another character who I, who I can't say because it's, it would be a spoiler. But there's another yes. character in, in this book. And I would just love to explore their story.
0: Do you think you will? Uh, it's possible.
1: I mean... Um,
0: I'm putting you on the spot here, back, I know. Going but... back
1: to the Jazz Age, going back to the Jazz Age, and yeah. so explore their story there. Yeah, because they're, they're fun to write, they're interesting. See, I,
0: I had that kind of experience myself where um, when I started Marie's World, I had a villain, and I just thought, right, he'll be like this villain that will come and go. He won't stick around. Mm. Boy, was I wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah he has
0: been a torment through every single step of the way, and it's kind of like almost arguing with my my co author because I'm like, no, he would be involved with this like you, you know it and I can't shake him, mm. and it's so funny because he's he's actually based on a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and i have based him on his actual personality, not his wrestling character uh. um so I hear all these little things that he would say and do. And it was so funny because when I revealed that to him he went, you called me Harold? Do I look like a ha-? He was offended by the name. Not the type of character or anything to do with the character. It was the name. Yeah. And he teased me and he still to this day teases me relentlessly about that. But that's my character that just... I could be writing anything and he'll come along and he'll just... Mm. destroy whatever it is I'm working on and I have to go make notes yeah, about yeah. what he thinks of a certain situation or how he would handle certain things um, and his book is the, the biggest book I've ever written I think it's uh-huh. coming up to 130,000 words so I'm going to have to split it
2: yeah.
0: I know I'm going to have to split it but you know that awful feeling of you don't quite know where to split mm. it yeah. that's kind yeah. of where my dilemma with him is But I think we all have that person that we're like I, I have to explore this person and I have to really go into oh, yeah. why they're the way that they are. Psychology is so important for what mm. we do. I don't think people realise that we actually spend a lot of time thinking about the mental way that somebody would deal with things and, and the yeah. psychology of that.
1: Yeah, and and, and sort of but when I mean those characters when you put them in, and and your main character you put them in a situation, an impossible situation, say, Okay, now what are you going to do? And it's that, and that is the psychology of how they respond to that. And, and if, you,
0: you do feel sorry for them sometimes.
1: Yeah, you, yeah, have, to,
0: you have to because you, you, you wouldn't be human if you didn't.
1: We we're very cruel to them at times. Yeah,
0: but it's fun as well. If you think on it, it's our way of getting rid of our anger and our frustration. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: oh yeah, yeah.
0: We're but, like, oh, we'll just go talk to a character today. It'll be fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll be cruel know. to this one today.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of. I think it's a healthy healthy release for frustration.
1: Sure. Yeah. A that's must
0: probably, need.
1: That's why we're writers.
0: Exactly. So moving into your life, what's the <laughs> first thing you do when you're you're needing to de-stress from your editing and your writing? What's your your calming down thing?
2: Uh,
1: walk. I go for a walk. It's. I, I just need to get out. I mean, another another one is actually because my both my wife and I work from home. I work yes. downstairs, she works upstairs, and one of the nicest things is to come together at lunchtime and, and, and in the evening, yes, and talk to each other about our day, and is when you talk to the other, who understands, but is in, is in a very different area, she, she's a, an artist and a jewellery designer,
2: yeah.
1: and you talk about your day and you have similarities and differences and just by talking about them and their answer you, you sort of tend to put things in perspective uh, exactly, yeah. and, and to sort of realise well, well she's coping with this, I'm coping with that we're fine, you know, yeah. you do it, and then sometimes she'll say something that helps my situation I say something that helps her yeah. and that, that for me is one of the best and as I say, walking, just walking just going for long walks, I love walking
0: the, the one thing that I do and it drives my husband nuts is I will sit and I'll say I was dealing with this issue today or I was fighting with this today and he's so good at listening for a period of time and then he'll tell uh. me stop complaining <laughs> and it's just that humour of that Glaswegian humour of yeah. it could have been worse is kind of their constant attitude Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah that yeah, yeah.
0: It really puts in perspective of whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether it's being in the hospital or whether it's, you know, no matter what it is I deal with, he'll come in and he'll say something and it just completely changes the day. Um, And he was the same when he drove the buses. He would come home and he'd be like, you know, because he's not a people person. And I would just say something like, oh, the cat decided to try and climb the curtains today and it would just change him, and he'd be like, what do you mean the cat tried to climb the curtains (laughs) today? You know, just that instant kind of, oh.
1: You just need the other person to take you on to a different wavelength, or just to sort of see, look, that doesn't matter, stop worrying about that. Or, look at it this way.
0: Yeah, and and that's what we do. If
1: if you're caught up in your own problem, you look at it. Yeah. Full on. And they say, well, what about this?
0: And you end up losing yourself with it.
1: Yeah, completely.
0: And and I'm one of these people that worries about everything, mm-hmm. and so he's really good at just sort of saying, "What the hell are you worrying about?" Yeah, you um, know, and just taking me completely out of the situation. And I I think as writers we do that instinctively.
1: Uh, I'm one of life's worries. I, I really am. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm with you on that one. What hobbies do you enjoy, and other ones you wish you could explore more of?
1: It it, it that's yeah that's a curious question because. I'm I'm writing full time now, and in the I used to be a translator.
2: Oh, okay. That was my,
1: that was my day job, and writing was the escape. It was yes. never a hobby, but it occupied the space and the time that a that a hobby would.
2: Of course, yeah. and
1: Now that I'm writing full time, yes, I didn't have any other hobbies in place, and it's oh, sort no. of odd I have to find things. So I mean, just it, I'm getting used to doing other things. And it's I've I've always wanted to learn to play the guitar, so I bought myself the guitar and uh, I started playing that. And my wife as well, my wife already plays violin and other instruments, but she wants to learn to play the clarinet. So she's bought a clarinet, I've bought a guitar and we're learning that. Um, We both love languages, we're learning Welsh, we're both learning Welsh. And the next one after that is we're going to have a go at learning Danish, simply because we like Scandinavian. By the way,
0: Danish is easy.
1: Yeah, everyone says. Everyone says. So uh,
0: I never realized how easy it was. But if you can, if I would recommend taking a, a trip to Shetland first. Oh really? Because the amount of Danish words that's in Shetland dialect course, is yeah. insane.
2: Of course. Because
0: in Shetland everything's da or kin, uh-huh. and they use that in Danish. So uh-huh. there's huge chunks that comes from the Old Norse And then there's huge chunks that comes from Danish And there's a little bit of German in there too Yeah, And yeah. it's sort of, that's what that dialect is And even though it's been watered down and watered down yeah. with the Scottish It's still there So if you ever get a chance to just go and sit in the restaurant You can hear them talking in the wow. dialects um, And it it just makes it so much easier for when you go to do the danish
1: oh i remember that yeah yeah,
0: yeah. And, and trust me if you go up in the summer and you get to see the what we call the summer dim mm. which is this night of endless sunshine um. they have a huge festival there and if you go up this year you'll actually see the tall ship race because they're yeah. gonna have the tall ships in oh
2: beautiful
0: and they make it a huge deal the entire T of Larwick's main street becomes stalls and oh. they have food and they have music and it's traditional Shetland music and they have the Vikings there and they have all this stuff that makes it just such an amazing event and they call that the Summer Dim um, Summer?
2: The Summer, summer
0: what? Summer dim. dim as in like you would dim a light oh, Okay. Okay. and that just means summer coming to an end
1: sure sure, oh I love the Summer that.
0: Um, and then if you think of up Helia, up Helia is yeah. the end of winter, beginning of a new year.
1: That's right yeah. and
0: that's them paying respect to the ocean and the powers of the ocean and the power of fire and light and renewal. So it's incredible just that what it prepares you for because it means yeah. it's easier to learn Nordic and easier to learn yeah, Danish and Finnish because it's all interwoven and interconnected. Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe a trip to Shetland will do you good. Yeah,
1: time. that doesn't sound a bad idea at all.
0: Well, you can get a, you can get a flight from London. Only takes right. about three and a half four hours. Oh, that's not bad. Oh. and it's yeah, it, okay. I'm, it's a tiny plane, but it, it you know it's worth it. Cause
1: my my sister and brother in law went to Shetland a few months ago to visit, just to visit. They'd never been, fell in love, and they went back again just recently. Yeah. You know, absolutely adored it.
2: So, yeah. If
0: you get the bug, you're you're doomed yeah. because it's like you get an elastic band attached to your bum, and every <laughs> so often it snaps and you end up back in the island, and you're like, when did I decide to come back? Yeah, you know, it's just that kind of awkwardness of huh. um, you know, and I've I've been back and forth my entire life. I love Scotland mainland to death, but there's every so often that kind of call that I have to go oh, back home. Comes and I, I just say to Ian, I have to go up for a while, and it drives him crazy.
2: Yeah, you know, like um, he hates
0: it because he hates the fourteen-hour boat. We get the boat, and it's fourteen hours that you're on that. And we take our cats usually, and it's fourteen hours with two cats in the kennels. The car's on the bottom deck, and you're in a cabin for just fourteen hours. And there's a great thing is they they have two restaurants, and they have a bar, and they have live local Shetland music and they have this shop full of books Uh and sweets and anything you could possibly need on your journey is in this one shop (laughs) but see when you hit midnight and you've had your dinner but you can't quite sleep I write all the time Mm. on the boat I'll get the munchies at like midnight and Mm. I'll drive my husband nuts because I'll be like I could go for a roast dinner or I could, ooh, some fried fish would be really nice. And then I start rolling off all these things I'd like to eat and then he ends up hungry.
2: Oh.
0: <laughs> so what he does is he buys like a a snack pile of stuff I can nibble on at midnight so that I don't uh, wake him up with yeah. oh, I could go for this. But it is such an experience. Um, and yeah, the islands, it's its amazing. if you get a I would recommend getting the Queen's Hotel, which actually sits in the water of Larwick. It's yeah. built out the ocean. And if you get the right room, you can actually hear the gentle lapping um. of the waves against the wall. And it will give you such a, a historical taste mm-hmm. of the stonemasonry work that they did. Um, yeah. and still exists, by the way. There is still stonemasons in Germany. Um But it will give you just an experience that words can't put into place uh, I hope I've sold you on it
1: yeah you have actually it does sound beautiful
0: <laughs> and your your wife if, if she loves jewellery I recommend looking at oh, Aurora Um, you can see them online and it's actually Shetland and Arcadian jewellery handmade by people from Shetland and Orkney and it all has connections to the islands
1: uh, well, she she might actually possibly know that already because you no, know, she
2: she, she might
0: she might, but it, they're oh, not I'll, well known. Ask her, um, ask her. Yeah, they're they're not well known. And what fascinates me about them is it is just ordinary Shetland and Orkney mm-hmm. creative people mm. who have made these amazing things. Um, and I actually for my birthday got the Up necklace from my father because uh. Uh, he was in the Arl Squad this year and that was to represent the year of him being in the Up squad but it was also, my birthday was, uh. normally it's on Up but this year I was lucky it was the week after Up <laughs> uh. so I, I could have had a nice dinner for my birthday if I was in Shetland for a change because usually it always fell on my <laughs> birthday so um. Yeah, but it was it, it's incredible, and and to see what they can do in such a small place it is Wonderful. phenomenal.
1: Because one one of so her, her, her favorite her favorite um, jewelry parts of the world is Skein in um, in
2: Denmark.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, it's beautiful modern jewelry. Fabulous.
0: They are incredible. Like, mm. I mean, that's the thing. I think Shetlanders we gravitate towards. Well, They're I was very, to this, yeah, going to say,
1: there's going to be a lot of influence either way, isn't there?
0: Yeah, and we used to have a lot of um, Russians that used to come to mm. So I think there's a little bit of Russian inspiration in there as well because they would come in with their submarines and and whatever. They're not allowed now, but they used mm. to. Yeah, yeah. And that had an impact on the community. However, nowadays the the community gets a little bit nervous when their their flight, you know, their fighter planes start flying overhead. Mm. Um, which they've done a few times they did it during Covid which I must admit I got a bit squirrely in the house I was like mm. but our RAF fighters were there very quickly so it wasn't too bad um, but I don't know why they were even there so mm. but it was just that moment of, of um, the Ukraine war had started as well and we were all just a bit a bit anxious and a bit uncomfortable that they were there so I myself have a long term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What, what would you say makes you slow down and smell the roses?
1: I think it's the need to get out. We, I work from home and I've worked from home for the last 20 years. Yes. And um, my wife has as well. And we've gone through periods when we just haven't set foot outside the house for a week. And we haven't spoken wow. to another soul except each other. And yeah. you realize that's not good, you can't do that, and so what what sort of does it for for me is is the need to get out and uh, and we live five minutes' walk from the sea, so you walk over to the cliffs down to the seafront, and just stand, sit, look at the sea, watch its movement, listen to it um, and it's that i mean i think I think it's the realization that. You know, we, we talk about work-life balance. Well, it's often when you work for yourself and from home, you don't always get the life balance wrong. It's, it's not just the work, it's the fact that the life, you tend not to go out, you tend not to socialise, you tend to become quite isolated. Um, that's right, And yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that we've sort of had to, to get on top of, is, is to yeah. get out, to, to get to meet people with, again incredibly lucky in this town with with a great indie bookshop that organizes lots of events so um and we have a local library that also organizes events so there are lots of bookie events going on which is absolutely brilliant fun it is
0: yeah
1: so um so but it's it's that. i mean i I think you sort of it's easy to lose sight of the need to socialize and just to get outside, get out of your house when, when you work from home, when you work in this plan and so uh, so it's that, but as I say we're, we're very lucky here with the sea the the sea is I love sea it, to it, awe, it yeah. calms me uh, and, and just to sort of walk five minutes to the cliffs and look out over the sea and it's beautiful
0: that's amazing, I, I'm a sea person too I get yeah. itchy every so often if I haven't seen it and my husband will drive me down to Helensboro which is this most gorgeous little Scottish town, uh-huh. seaside town, uh, where we lived. We lived there for a number of years, and it's oh, right. it a beautiful place. But it's very expensive to live there. And uh, yeah, so I get itchy feet. I have to go see the ocean on a regular basis, we, um, yeah. and I think that's because I've grown up always seeing the ocean. Yeah, exactly. So it feels weird to be off in the in the hills and not to not see it. So yeah, I understand that. That. Concept we we, we both
1: grew up. By the sea, um, yeah. and so and so when we first started, when we first started going out with each other, we were living in Madrid, which is the most landlocked capital in Europe. It
0: is, yeah.
1: <laughs> and we were living there, and it just you no, know, just we needed the sea, and we were, I'd come from Barcelona, and so we moved to Madrid, and then moved back to Barcelona. Yeah. And had the sea, and now we live here. We sort of moved here into this the town about eighteen months ago. Uh, it's it is just having water, the sound of water, the sound of it, the changes in it, the change in the light that water yes. brings. the The colour of the sky is different. It's just beautiful, and yeah, that's that. Those are the roses, I smell.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you on that because there's a beach in Larwick. Uh, it's called Baines Beach, which is fam- my family's name. And it was one of my favorite things to do was to go down and sit on it, because um, it's in this little cove in the the harbor, and you can see all the boats coming and going, and it's just so peaceful. And I I used to go there when I was just not feeling myself and just get lost in it. Um, but yeah, it, that's that's the thing that you I use to touch base with yeah. the, with the world when my life gets hectic. Yeah. Um, because the ocean it's, its such a strong, magical beast, you just never know what it's going to do. Um, well, I,
1: yeah, know, especially growing up in Shetland. Good Lord, yeah, that, that.
0: I've seen cyclones. Yeah. I, I'll never forget the day I was on the playground, and I looked out, and right there on the horizon was this just cyclone of water. And I thought, oh, that's <laughs> not good. And I remember saying that out loud, and all the kids sort of looked at me and they were like, What are you talking about? And then I just sort of pointed and they went, And then the next thing I heard was somebody screaming, Teacher! (laughs) (laughs) But it didn't come ashore. It pittered out by Uh the time it got to to where we were. Um, But yeah, just seeing that for the first time, I was Mm -hmm. just like, You know, or, or seeing the waves that are like 30, 40 feet in the air. Lord. You know, because the wind 's blowing so strong,
1: oh yeah, no we, the, we, yeah, we don 't get our seas very very tranquil here <laughs> no
0: you wouldn't i 've heard so many amazing stories about Cardiff and 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 Wales. my partner's been down several times to you guys, and he says it 's just totally different beast to Scotland, totally mm. different mm. Um, so yeah, and even when we were in l a the the ocean was so different. Mm, mm. it it had a different sparkle a different yeah. light oh, a different, yeah. different look my husband was worried about chemical spills so he wouldn't let me in it but it was that idea of how beautiful it looked and how mm. stunning it was mm. that yeah I just, I like going to new countries just to yeah, see yeah, what yeah, the yeah. sea looks like um, and my partner always teases me, he's like if I take you to Maldives you'll never come back uh because the water's warm and you'll just always want to be in the water and you know that i i'm part like as, as a running joke in shetland i'm part selkie because i i love to be in water oh, I, right. I don't i don't like getting water thrown on me but i like to be physically yeah, in right. in water and uh, so yeah i just love it yeah if I, if I can get a sea that's warm that i don't get frostbite i, I yes. would be quite a happy person
1: yeah. Well, because we, as I was saying we lived in Barcelona for a, quite a long time, and sort of the, the Mediterranean there on your doorstep, and sort of every weekend we'd escape up the coast, and, and just yeah. the beautiful—I mean, the colour of the the sea, the colour of the pine trees, the the rocks, it was just beautiful. <coughs> it was just one of the most beautiful, privileged places to live. It was fabulous.
0: Yeah. So, what's your favourite place to curl up during the day and read if you get the chance?
1: Well, <coughs> well in the summer, the garden. Um,
0: Not that we get a lot of sunshine in Britain.
1: Yeah, just we don't much.
0: Letting people know.
1: Yes, yeah, the, the days you can, and, and, and oddly, the, the, this last summer was very hot, and we have sort of a few trees around us. Yeah. And so you have to move around the garden. So sort of every, yeah. every half hour, you have to pick your chair up and move around to get the shade. I'm very fair skinned, so you have to keep moving to get the shade. Yep. And so you, you try and make sure that coincides with the end of a chapter. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: so and if it's not that, I, I like to be at home to read, I must admit. And um, I just like I do find
0: read. it difficult to read outside the house. I
1: do. I, I like being at home. And so in the winter is lovely curling up on the on the settee me at one end my wife at the other each with our books with our feet up on the sofa reading it's just the most yeah. companionable thing you can do
0: I love it when the, the burners on as well so you get the sound of the the peat burning and the crackling and, uh,
2: just, uh, you we're know, the, and then
0: the wind howling outside or the, the snow coming down yeah
2: you know. yeah yeah, yeah.
0: But I always say, if you've lived somewhere where it's really sunny, get a su- get a conservatory, because uh, see the the magic of actually sitting underneath the glass as it's oh, raining right. and reading at the same time is an experience like nothing oh, you'd right. ever have. It is truly amazing. And, oh, or if you get a thunderstorm.
1: Oh yeah, and yeah. And you're
0: yeah. reading something that's quite dark at the time. It, just the knock on effect is yeah, so yeah, yeah, incredible.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, I always say that if you're in Britain, conservatories the most. <laughs> you know, make make the most of sunny days without freezing,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we I, we've never had one and got when we lived in Barcelona, I mean you, you just would not have a conservatory. It no, was too cook. hot. You yeah, cook you could So, you know, what you were looking for, for there was somewhere with a bit of breeze and a bit of shade. And yeah.
0: um, or a good air conditioning.
1: Yeah, and never had an apartment with air conditioning, oddly enough. But we had a balcony, and we, we lived overlooking a park. Yeah.
2: And
1: you know, you, you, it, it was it was a couple of degrees cooler up, the, and it was at the top end of the city. It was a couple of degrees cooler than yeah. in the rest of the city, and you'd get a breeze,
0: which made and all it, the difference. Very
1: yeah. nice to sit there and read on the on the, on the balcony. And that was good. Oh,
0: so. I I would admire that to be honest. Yeah, we were in LA, and I didn't realize how hot it got in LA. Yeah, oh, yeah, not yeah. a clue. I I just assumed it was like a warm place, but not.
2: Mm. And we yeah. went
0: in a heat wave, which, which was Ooh. unheard of in September. Oh
2: wow! But it
0: was the humidity. It wasn't the heat. It was the humidity. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah that yeah, was.
0: Yeah. Th- I mean, I have. I've always had really, you know, long hair, and and the humidity made me look as if I'd been electrocuted every morning. <laughs> so I had to get in the shower and pleat it really tightly, and then kind of hope that the rest of the day it wouldn't like escape out of this
2: <laughs> this oh pleat of the
0: humidity and we read we sat outside a lot and it was like a Japanese garden they had just outside our, our room and we sat in there with dragonflies flying over us and palm trees swaying uh. and I got whiter, because I'm very fair I actually bleached I got whiter
2: Good Lord.
0: in the sun I I didn't think that was possible. And my husband, who normally burns, got a beautiful tan. So I was annoyed that he (laughs) came back tanned and I came back looking paler than milk. People actually asked me, did you never stay outside? Yes. And I am now whiter. Like To me, I just couldn't believe it. I I had always tanned when I'd gone to Crete or if I'd been outside (laughs) in the summer. And just that difference in LA because of the smog that that mm. covers the city. I never realized how much of a barrier that is.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that
0: it stops that tan. If mm. you're sitting outside, I just had no idea. And we were lucky; we didn't stay in, in LA. We were in Burbank, which is a small mm. county outside. Um, and I, honestly, I could have been more grateful for that because it was so much quieter. Even though we had the the motorway behind the hotel, it was so much calmer. Than the rest of the city but yeah. it does take two hours to go 15 miles
2: oh
0: that was the major downside we yeah. did not know how bad the traffic was before we went and yeah, then yeah. trying to get anywhere and you step outside your door first thing in the morning and the ground's actually sizzling at 6am yes, yeah. you know and it was just I loved that noise of hearing that in the morning <laughs> like just and I was like yeah. what is that and he was like that's the ground
2: Sizzling,
0: oh. and I'd be like, "But why is this sizzling?" <laughs> I just, I had no concept of what a really hot country was like, and of course he's been to Hong Kong and Singapore mm. and all these other places, and I just had no clue. I was just yeah, baffled, yeah, yeah. and he, so yeah, he always used to make fun of me. To I walked around with these gigantic eyes. Just <laughs> I'd never seen a dragonfly in my life, so the first thing I did when I saw it was I ducked.
2: Uh?
0: And everybody's just sort of walking around it, just ignoring this thing. And every so, so often, I would just go, "Well, yes, you know," and and, and Ian sort of laughing at me, just like this is hilarious watching his wife ducking every so often, you know. And I'd never seen a flying beetle in my life till I was in a cafe, and this thing flew over the wall, and it was like the size of a hummingbird. Oh,
1: the victim, yeah, the big thing.
0: And I was like, "What the hell is that?" Like I'd never seen anything in my life, and. And my friend who's the sort of animal lover was explaining it all to me and and I was just I was amazed, you know, to be in a city with cougars and bears that would walk around just like they owned the place. Just baffled me, you know. Um that was I had a clip from my friend a couple of weeks ago and she actually filmed that a bear walked into her back garden, got in the pool and sat there all day. Mm. All day. And he's done it periodically this last few months, and she says you wouldn't mind except for his fur gets in the filters of the pool, oh. and it's costing her so much money to replace the filters. <laughs> but to the bear, it's like, oh, that's a cool spot. I'm just gonna lie here till it cools oh. down a bit, you know. Oh,
1: you can't blame the bear. No, no,
0: you can't. And she can't. It's not like she can phone wildlife and say, I- "I've got a bear problem," because they're going to say, "Well." We'll get to you when we can, you know. You know, so to her, she just doesn't go outside her back garden till like six o'clock at night because she can't, you know. Could you imagine that though? Like not being able to go in your garden because there's a cougar lying there or a bear paying you a visit. It's just, you know, we complain about the foxes in Britain.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never
0: mind if we had a blinking cougar in the (laughs) backyard. Well, you survived the podcast. I, I, I really hope this has been fun. We're just about to play the word game, which usually goes quite by very, very fast. Um, So you ready? Yep, yep. So your first word is frost.
1: Uh, What's the first life, book
0: that comes to your mind?
1: One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich.
0: Oh, okay. That's That's definitely unique.
1: Yeah, well, it's because of those scenes when they're trying to make a wall and, and, the, and the, um, the the mortar freezes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. How it's about bit, snow? Bleep, Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry? S- snow? Snow, dark matter. Michelle Paver. Oh, OK. That's brilliant. Set in the 1930s. Uh, really scary. Read that with all the doors and windows shut really scary set in uh, it's an exhibition an expedition to the i I can't remember the arctic or the antarctic in the 1930s and boy is it atmospheric in a scale yeah
0: i can imagine yeah really good what about wind
1: wind wind yeah gulliver's travels okay gulliver's travels that's a book where we all read that as kids you know the sort of the abridged version read it as an adult it's just brilliant it's just one of the greatest pieces of satire ever and it still has relevance it's a brilliant book really would and that's
0: the thing things that you read as a kid and then you read as an adult and you're like wait why would somebody let me read that as a kid oh of course
1: yeah i mean why they ever let us read gulliver's travels as kids is nonsense
0: yeah. i felt the same we, we had this um slave book that we read for english class and it was the, the story was from a point of view of a, a slave in in america at the time and they were on the plantation which she was experiencing what she was living at and i think back on it and i think what on earth were we reading that like because it was so brutal There wasn't any light, happy moments, (coughs) and every time this girl got happy, it was taken away from her. And I think it was to expose us to that world that we wouldn't have known otherwise. Mm, But it was traumatic. I think. What about stars?
1: Stars, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It can only be.
0: Yep, I knew that was coming.
1: Just delightfully silly, intelligently silly, (laughs) beautiful writing.
0: What about? Full moon.
1: Full moon. Full moon.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, this is kind of odd. The Purple plane by H.E. Bates.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And that's more to do with the family history. It was, it was my parents were childhood sweethearts. And at the end oh. of the war, my dad was in the Navy. Right. And my mum was back in Wales. Yeah. And every night at 10 o'clock, they'd look at the moon.
2: Oh, that's so And that so was their stuff. way of
1: connecting with each other. so the moon's always had an importance and the full moon especially and so The Purple Plane is the most beautiful love story set in the second world war it's written by H.B. Bates Um, And my mum one day the film was on TV and she wanted to watch it and she she was a bit worried that I would not like it because it was too romantic and we watched it and I absolutely adored it and went straight out and bought the book Absolutely loved it so, and it's it, it just
0: it's weird reminds that, cause, me of that
1: family story,
0: yeah. And it's weird because I think a lot of people, if you're in a set genre, they think you wouldn't like something else, oh, and yeah. then you discover the, the the way that it's done, it transcends that gender like that genre and allows other people to fall in love with it.
1: I, I think um, so. and I think you filter down into a genre that you write about, but but from a love for yeah. all sorts of genres.
0: Yeah, exactly. What about Branches?
1: Branches? Okay, this is an odd one. Le Grand Merle by Alain Fournier. It's okay,
0: that is an odd one.
1: That is just the most beautiful book. It was written by a guy. Um, it was the only book he ever wrote.
0: Yeah.
1: And he died, he was killed, in the, I think, in the first week or the first month of the First World War. And he'd written the book, and I think it was published after And it's this story of love and loss and longing. And there are these scenes and it's about this character who tries to find a love and a world that that sort of seems magical and he tries to find his way back to it. And he's always walking through a forest to try and find it. And he gets lost in the forest and he gets snagged on the trees. And and at times the the forest is is lyrical and beautiful and other times it's, it's dark and menacing. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. So, um, it's the
0: villain it, and it's the it's the hero yeah, all it, in one.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It, 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 yeah, it's safe haven and it, and it's danger.
0: What about pine trees?
1: Pine trees. Well, as it, as I mentioned, I lived in Spain for a long time. Pine trees always it's Spain for me. So as I walked out one midsummer morning, Laurie Lee. Just uh, if you know the story, it's, it's he's he's a young man from the West Country of England, and he just goes out and, and walks around Spain on the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, uh, it's just fabulous. It's, it's it's sort of a I suppose it's a coming of age story as well of yeah. its day. But, uh, beautifully written, lyrically beautiful, and just a fascinating moment in history. So uh, yeah, that would I love
0: that yeah I and it, the weird thing is when I put the list together, I had looked at your prospect press pack, and I was trying to think, well, what would be the ideal place would I meet you and I kind of imagined sort of a very snowy whales oh, conference right. where you know we're all huddled together in a cabin and we're doing this sort of writer's retreat, and <laughs> we end up sharing a glass of port in the corner. and end up talking about historical f- fiction and that's just what sprung to mind when I when I read the press box so that's that, where the words came from that, um, that, that's
1: oh is that where the words came from how brilliant oh I love that
0: and actually, that's, that's what I do for every word game is I imagine well where would I meet this person and it can take place any place in time and any place in the world and I just try and imagine that um, and that's that's what sprung to mind yeah oh, I love that so I always put a little bit of something in there special for everybody. Um, so that they oh, walk away, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, some, yeah. Some really sort of ancient writers retreat.
0: Yeah, we could, you could actually see us all just sort of stuck somewhere, because <laughs> <laughs> when it snows here, it snows here, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I could see that, and uh, you know, it's it's fantastic. And I what I love now is screenwriters are doing retreats here in Scotland, and oh, they're just hiring wow. out a castle, and then they all get together <laughs> there, and like this like. Wow, we need we need we need a big historical retreat writers yeah. conference in a castle somewhere. So yes, I'm yeah. hoping that the publishers are listening to this and be like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea," and we all get to go. I think that would be awesome. But it's been an honor to have you on, and I really hope you're gonna come back and tell us the next part of any story when that next book is ready to come out, because we would be excited to have you here.
1: I would love to. It's been it's been absolute an absolute joy i really enjoyed it loved it thank you
0: well this is supposed to be the most painless media that you do um because as an author myself i know how painful media can be Uh, (laughs) so i try to make it as fun as possible and the idea is for everybody that comes on the show they feel like they're just having a conversation in a cafe uh, with their cups of coffee and and, uh, hopefully that's what comes across but next week guys we've got another bestseller in store for you I was not expecting this guest. It was a surprise guest and I can't wait to share them with you. So make sure you check out Monday and uh, you never know when there's going to be a surprise guest on the Book and Life podcast. So make sure you subscribe, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Spotify. I look forward to seeing you all back next time.